good morning. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 3. How am I doing, Brandon? Is this close enough? Okay. Now, a lot of times, new Christians... Uh, young people that want to get better acquainted with Jesus, want to get better acquainted with the Bible, they're very often told, read the book of John. That will get you acquainted with Jesus. That's a good introduction. And so they will. And then when they get done with the book of John, they say, okay, I've read the book of John. Now what do I do? Read it again. Okay, they read it through the second time. Well, now what do I do? Well, read it again. And I have found out that doesn't just work only for new Christians. It works for us old duffers, too. You know, some of us that have been around a while, I have found that the more you go through the same material, the more you learn, the more you hear, uh, the, the more you recognize. New things pop up all the time. There's roughly 100 people here in this room. If every one of us, hundred people studied the third chapter of the book of John, came up here next Sunday or the next coming weeks or whatever, and told us what they learned, there'd be 110 opinions out of 100 people. It's just the way it is. There's always something new that comes up. So in keeping with that, um, we have decided kind of, uh, this is a decision we kind of made as a elders, over the next however many weeks or months or however long it takes, we've decided that we're going to go through the book of John. Now, in a sense, that gives us a, a sense of continuity, gives us a, a thread to follow, and that will help not only us as we prepare to speak, but it will also help you because you kind of know what's coming. And at the same time, there's still going to be plenty of variety there because there's whoever's speaking and whatever part Whatever chapter you're in, whatever part of the book you're in, there's something new. There's always going to be something new. So, uh, the last couple of weeks, Kyle got us started um, the first couple of chapters of John and got us through the wedding at Cana and brought us up to the beginning of chapter 3. So that's where I'm going to start today. Now, it says in the bulletin, uh, it talks about Jesus as teacher. In chapter 3, Jesus takes on three roles. There's, there's three roles that Jesus uh, assumes in this chapter. Um, he's a teacher, he's a bridegroom, and he's a witness. And if you read through the chapter carefully, you will see that. And the first 21 verses deal with Jesus as teacher, and that's what I want to deal with today. Now, next week when Kyle picks it up after there, I'm not real sure where he'll start. I'm not sure where he'll go from there. Uh, he may move on into uh, chapter 4. I don't know. But that's, that's what I say. Every, every, every time it's going to be someone different, there will be something new to learn. So we want to start out here um, in, in the beginning of, of, at the first verse of chapter 3. Now keep in mind here that what we're thinking about, what we want to take from this, is what Jesus as teacher has for us. What does he have to say for us in this? Now we start out here in the very first verse. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
This man came to Jesus by night. Now what do we know about the Pharisees? What do we know about Nicodemus? Well, what we know about the, about the Pharisees was all the different sects, all the different divisions of the Jews, the Pharisees kind of considered themselves the top dogs. Of course, you know, you could probably say that about any of the different, any of the different sects, any of the different divisions. They all can kind of consider themselves that. But the Pharisees held strictest to religious practices, uh, to observing the festivals, they were very strict about how you presented yourself in public. They were very conscious of how people perceived them, of how the public looked at them. So here comes Nicodemus, and he's a leader of the Pharisees. Now, from reading through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, and you know, you get the impression that Jesus doesn't have much use for the Pharisees. And in a, in a sense, that's very true. And so we take it from that. We kind of tend to, uh, I don't know what, ridicule maybe, uh, Pharisees and so forth and so on. But you need to remember not all Pharisees are hypocrites. You know, they didn't all fall into this pot that we want to throw them in. Because after all, who is the most famous Pharisee of all? It's Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. He studied under Gamaliel, who was considered to be one of the premier uh, religious, historical, and philosophical teachers of his day. And Gamaliel was a prominent Pharisee. So Paul studied under him, and Paul cried out one time, after all, I'm a Pharisee. You know. So we need to keep in mind here that, you know, don't throw all of them, don't paint them all with the same brush. Well, here comes Nicodemus. At that time in Jerusalem, or actually they're in Capernaum now, uh, you know, Jesus has returned to Capernaum and and uh, here comes Nicodemus with questions. Now, why did he come at night? It's not that he was necessarily trying to hide under cover of darkness or anything else. But <clears throat> but uh, everywhere Jesus goes in these days, these last few days, what's been going on? He's been healing people. He's been performing miracles. Basically, there's a mob around him all the time. Nicodemus wants to sit and talk quietly with him. Nicodemus had his own busy schedule to contend with. So he came at night, and he and Jesus are sitting on the roof of the house, sitting on the, on the building, which was quite common. They had, you know, a patio area, whatever you want to call it, on the roof of the houses and most of the buildings in those days. And they're sitting there at night having this conversation. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Right off the bat, Nicodemus is recognizing this Jesus guy is something special. We know that you can't do these things unless you are from God. He, he, is, he, is, he wants to talk. He wants to learn. He wants to hear what Jesus has to say for himself. He wants to know what's going on here. Okay? Um, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay? Jesus is going to teach Nicodemus here through these 21, 21 verses. He's going to teach him what it means to be born again. He's going to teach him what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. And he's going to do it using four different illustrations. A good teacher always uses illustrations. Now, I've never been a teacher by profession, 
or uh, you know had anything to do with education system or anything else. But when I think back over the time I spent in school, spent in classrooms, spent in lectures, whatever, it was always the good illustrations that drove the point home. That's how I remembered what was supposed to be entering up here when there was a good illustration. Jesus is going to use four different illustrations to teach Nicodemus what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. Now, we also need to remember, while he's giving this instruction to Nicodemus, he's not the only one that needs to learn, observe, and know this. What do we say about God's word? It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's teaching Nicodemus this. He's teaching us this. This is something we need to absorb, something we need to pick up, something we need to learn and always remember. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, here's Nicodemus wanting to meet this man, wanting to figure out what he's talking about. Be born again. What are you talking about? The only thing he knows about is physical birth. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Okay? Now, he says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Well, Nicodemus is marvel. What's he talking about being born again? Well, what is... what what? Nicodemus knows what we know is physical birth. To live a physical life on a physical earth, you must have a physical birth. I mean, that's just logical, isn't it? Each one of us here, we have a father, we have a mother, we were physically born, we're physically living on a physical earth. All of a sudden, Jesus is talking about something different. He's talking about a spiritual birth. Well, don't be surprised that Nicodemus is having a hard time taking this in because if, if, if this were the first time we were hearing about this, we'd be in the same shape, we'd be in the same boat, we wouldn't understand what he's talking about. But what Jesus is talking about here, he says, uh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So in order you have to have a father and a mother for a physical birth, what do you have to have for a spiritual birth? You have to have the word of God and the spirit of God. The Spirit of God opens you up to hear, opens you up to hear the message, convicts you that you need a rebirth, that you need a spiritual birth. The Word of God, the Spirit of God and the Word of God imparts the life of God. So you have a physical father, a physical mother. You have uh, the Spirit of God moving you to repent, to understand, to know that you need the Word of God. What is the Word? Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Spirit of God convicts you that you need the Word of God. That is, that is what Jesus is talking about here when he's talking about being reborn. He's talking about spiritual birth. And that's how it comes. Well, Nicodemus is having a hard time keeping up with this and following all this. So Jesus uses another illustration. In verse 8, he says, The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but, do you not, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. Well, <clears throat> the, the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, we, we had some really hot, dry weather. And Darla and I would sit in the house and look out the window and marvel at it. And go outside and feel its blast and come back inside. It was 
96, 98 degrees. A couple of days there, it was over 100, and the wind was blowing hard. You'd see the tree limbs whipping. You'd see the tomato plants out in the garden being battered around. You know, you can see the effect. You can feel the effect of the wind, but you can't see it. Jesus telling Nicodemus, you see the effect. You feel the effect of the Spirit, but you cannot see the Spirit. But you can see and feel the effect. That's what he's talking about in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The effect and the feeling of the, of the Spirit is very real. That is where the rebirth comes from. You cannot see it, but you can see and feel its effects. And that's what he's talking about here. Um, in verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Uh, are, uh, Jesus answered, verse 10, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Now, uh, my translation is ESV, and it says, The teacher. Uh, King James Version says, Are you a master teacher? It says, Master teacher of Israel. Um, the commentary that I was using said that a, a literal translation from the Greek, from the Greek language, is the. The, the literal translation from the Greek says, are you the teacher of Israel? That right there, Jesus is elevating, or Jesus is recognizing the position that Nicodemus has. He said, you are the teacher, recognizing the, the level of authority that the Pharisees have in the Jewish uh, religion, and then recognizing that Nicodemus is at the top tier of that. Nicodemus, you are the teacher, but... You are the teacher, and you don't understand what I'm saying. Well, that kind of takes Nicodemus down a peg or two, doesn't it? Kind of sets him back a little bit. But Jesus goes on to say then, he says, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Now, right here, he's getting to the nub of what is Nicodemus's problem. And if you stop and think about it a little bit, it's our problem today too. Why do we not always hear the call? Why do we not always answer the call? Because we cling to, we live in what we know. When we get get outside of what we know, we get pretty uncomfortable, you know. And what Jesus is talking about here uh, this rebirth, this birth of the Spirit, accepting the Spirit, it takes a step of faith. You have to step out in faith to accept this. So Jesus is saying, we're telling you about these things. I'm going around healing people, teaching people. My disciples are teaching people. My disciples are bringing people to me. We're telling you about these things, but you're not understanding it. The reason that Nicodemus and his fellow Pharisees could not understand it. They, were, they weren't willing to accept the authority of Jesus' witness. You know, Jesus said, you live in what you know. What they know is Scripture. And, and to them, Scripture was Old Testament. You know, of course, the New Testament was, you know, that, that, that's for our benefit. What Scripture to them was Old Testament. You, they live in what they know. They knew that. So they've heard, they've read, they've studied all their lives about this Messiah that is to come, and when here comes Jesus 
testifying to these things, they're not willing to accept the authority of his witness. And that's what's holding them back. That's what the holdup is. That's what the snag is. That's what Nicodemus is sitting here talking to Jesus about. He's trying to find his way through that. He's trying to understand what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is teaching. Verse 12 says, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? That's why you have to take this step of faith, to step into the Spirit, to step in uh, to being born again of the Spirit. Now, verse 13 is very interesting. Verse 13 says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, no one's going to ascend to heaven except me. No one has ascended to, no one who has, uh, ascended into heaven except he, he who descended. I came down from heaven, I'm going to ascend back to heaven, no one else is going to do that. Well, a question that would come to, to Nicodemus' mind, what about Elijah? Wasn't it Elijah taken up in a whirlwind? Didn't Elijah ascend without dying? And uh, you'll, you'll find this addressed in just about whatever study Bible or whatever commentary you use, you will find this question, you will find this addressed. And probably uh, the most common explanation, or the most common, uh, I don't think anyone can state with authority just what the real answer to this is, but probably the most common suggestion, the most common um, logical answer to this is, when Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind, he was taken to second heaven. He was taken to what's referred to in the Old Testament as Abraham's bosom. We have a tendency, or we, we probably label it as paradise. It is not the eternal heaven, the third heaven. That will come after the second coming. When eternity starts, then we have the third heaven. So right now... Uh, Elijah, when he was taken up, he was probably taken to second heaven, which is where, you know, we, we, we talk about our loved ones that have gone on being in heaven. We talk about them being in paradise. And so it's, you know, there's a, there's a difference there. And it's something that pretty tough for us to understand. One of the great mysteries. And we will understand it when we're there. For right now, I can't explain it to you because I don't understand it either. But that's the best suggestion as you go through commentaries and study Bibles and so forth. That's the best suggestion for when Jesus states this. Nobody's going to ascend to heaven but me until I'm ready. You know, until we're ready for everyone. Well, then, where are the people that have gone on? What about Elijah? Elijah was taken up. And that's probably the best answer for that. They're taken up to what referred to in the Old Testament as Abraham's bosom. Now... We get to the third illustration. So he's used uh, the illustration of birth. He's used the illustration of wind. Now we get to the third illustration in verses uh, 14 through about 17 or 18. And he's talking about the serpent on a pole. And this is a really cool illustration and it's a really cool story. Verse 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What's he talking about when he's talking about the sermon on, on the serpent on the pole? Well, go with me to uh, Numbers uh, chapter 21. Oh, let's see. I had a bookmark here. Where is it? There it is. Numbers chapter 21. And we're going to start here 
Uh, we're going to start in verse 4. It's actually talking about uh, the children of Israel moving through the wilderness, moving through the desert, uh, when they were in their 40 years in the desert. It starts at verse 4. It says, From Mount Hor they set out by, way, by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. Now, having to go around the land of Edom, that's a whole story in itself. And if you've done any uh, study in the, in, in the genealogy and the family trees, uh, family histories, basically, they have to go around the land of Edom because that's Esau's descendants. So if you go back and study Genesis a little bit, you'll understand more of that. But they've got to go around the land of Edom. They can't fight with their cousins, the descendants of Esau. And the, people be- and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Okay? They're rebelling against Moses. They're rebelling against God. There's sin. Okay? There's sin. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Punishment for sin. The serpent's coming out of the bush, coming out of the grass, coming out of the brush. Sin is coming out and biting them, and the people are dying. The people are dying of sin. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. You have got sin. You have got mercy. Moses interceded for the people. He went to God and prayed. He prayed on the people's behalf. God provided a way. God gave, uh, showed mercy on the people. So you've got sin. You've got mercy. Uh, and and uh, so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. You've got sin. You've got mercy. You've got faith. That's exactly what you've got when Jesus went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross to save us from our sin. God provided a way. We look to Jesus in faith. We are saved. This is a perfect illustration of Jesus on the cross. That's why Jesus reminded Nicodemus of it. He's teaching Nicodemus of what is, what is to come. Now, something that bothered me... And something that other people ask too, okay, this is a picture of Jesus on the cross. Why in the world did Moses use a serpent, made a bronze serpent? That just doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem like a good way to illustrate, to picture Jesus as, a, as, a, as an ugly snake. Why did he use a serpent? Well, there is a very simple answer. And you're right, you hate to think about Jesus illustrated as a serpent. But when Jesus went on the cross, when Jesus bore our sin, he not only was an illustration, he became sin. When Jesus was on the cross, he became sin. He bore the sin of the world, and it was so much, so big, so, so, so huge, God had to turn away. God couldn't face him. When Jesus was on the cross, he became sin. And that's why uh, when Moses... Uh, when God told Moses to do this, to put this on, they used a serpent. A serpent uh, was illustrating sin. Well, now that's not the that's not the last time we hear about uh, this serpent. Uh, go with me to Second um, Kings. 
2 Kings 18. And we're going to read a little bit more about this serpent uh, that, that Moses made. Now, what's interesting here, Moses made this serpent uh, in roughly 1400 B.C. And, uh, you know, uh, scholars work out the timelines on these and put dates on them and, and uh, uh, fix the years and so on. We get to 2 Kings 18, we're talking about 728 B.C. We're talking about the reign of Hezekiah. Okay, Hezekiah was one of the good guys. As you go through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, uh, it, it's a it's a story. It's a up and down roller coaster ride of good kings and bad kings. And it seems like there's more bad kings than there are good ones. They kind of outweigh the good kings. But when you get to Hezekiah, he's one of the good guys. And here it is, seven hundred years after Moses raised up the serpent on the pole for the people to be saved from the snake bites. In the third year of, of uh, in the third year of Hoshua, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was twenty-five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty-nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of, Ze- of Zechariah. Now, here's what here's what we want to know about Hezekiah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. He removed the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherah. Basically, he was getting rid of the people's availability to worship Baal, uh, taking away their idol worship. He was, he was bringing the people back to the law. He was bringing the people back to God. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. They actually named this thing and used it uh, as part of worship. They had actually turned this bronze serpent into an idol. Now, um, let's go back to John. So, the attitude that the people had, that they actually took this thing as a symbol of what God had done and had actually used it, actually made it an object of their worship. That's kind of the same problem that Nicodemus is struggling with. It's what I know. It's what I've learned. It's what I've studied. That's what I'm comfortable with. It's kind of the same thing that we deal with today. We, we live in a physical world. We live in a world of tradition, of what I know, you know, how I was taught. Um, you know, it, 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 it's pretty easy for me to say, you know, uh, the first time I came to this church, I was carried through those doors in my mother's arms. I've been here more years than I want to tell you about, you know. So I'm a lifelong member of this congregation, of this church. Uh, I've spent many years teaching Sunday school, you know. I've served on this committee and that committee. I've done all these things. These are good things. But when it comes to being born, being reborn, being born in the Spirit, they don't mean anything. See, that's what Nicodemus is struggling with. It's this tradition. It's this, these things I know, these physical things that I'm familiar with. That's what I want to put my trust in. Jesus is saying, no, that's not it. That's what he's teaching Nicodemus. That's what he's teaching us. It's this, it's this step of faith into the Spirit, into the Word of God, that's what it means to be reborn. That's what it means to be born again. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus is predicting his death. 
It's a prediction that Jesus is making here. Nicodemus doesn't understand it yet, but he will. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now we come to the most well-known verse in the Bible. Probably one of the first verses that all of us have ever learned. So say it with me. I'm going to read it. You say it with me. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's it right there. Now we've known this verse all our life, and it's, to us it's kind of a standalone verse, but to Nicodemus it's part of the lesson that Jesus is teaching him. Nicodemus is hearing things that he had not considered before. Nicodemus is taking in a whole load of information that he has to absorb and think about. Verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. You don't have to wait for judgment day to know what the answer is going to be. Whoever believes will have eternal life. Whoever does not believe is already condemned. Now we get to verse um, we get to verse 19 here, and Jesus comes to his fourth illustration. He has used birth. He has used the the wind as spirit. He has used uh, the serpent on a pole as third illustration. Fourth illustration: light and darkness. Okay. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Okay? Whoever, uh, when, when you come to the cross... And look on Jesus for healing. You know, what did the people do? They looked to the serpent on the pole. They were healed of their snake bites. The world is sin bit. We are all dying of sin. When we come to the cross, look on Jesus for healing. We have come to the light. Literally, figuratively, spiritually, physically, any way you want to look at it. That's what it means to have spiritual life. That's what it means to be born again. Now... Lest we be too hard on Nicodemus. Nicodemus was hearing all this and trying to absorb it, trying to reconcile it to his position, uh, to, to what he knew, to what his life's work had been in teaching other people. Not right now, but this afternoon, after lunch. Sneak ahead a little bit. Go to John chapter 19, verse 20. I think that Nicodemus became a believer. So read through a few verses there in John 19, and I think you'll agree with me. I think Nicodemus believed. I think Nicodemus was saved. So uh, next week, I'm not sure where Kyle will take it up. If he'll start, if he'll finish in chapter 3, if he'll jump on ahead. But uh, that's what I wanted to talk about today, these first 21 verses. Jesus as teacher. And these illustrations that he used. Um, Get into your study Bibles. Get into your commentaries. There is so much more there than what I scratched the surface of today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you that every time we go into it, you have something for us to learn, something to hear that will 
guide us, that will help us in our walk. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you that you going to the cross gives us um, gives us spiritual life, gives us salvation, and grants us the mercy and the grace that you have for us. Just be with us now as we go from this place. Watch over and protect and until we come together again. We just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.